Good morning. It is a delight to welcome you here for this time of worship, worshiping together here at Highland Valley United Methodist Church. For those who are here in person and others who are joining us through social media, thank you for uh, being a part of this. So those of you who are joining us through social media, we invite you to go ahead and contact someone else and invite them to join in so that they can take part in what will be an awesome time of worshiping in the name of the Lord. I am Pastor UC Washington. Uh, Pastor Gail, our associate, is not here today, but we're so delighted to have David Bentley, who is uh, will be sharing uh, scripture and the message for today. We are also blessed to have special guests in our midst this morning, Doug Woods, who's over here to my left, and also Jill Brannon over to my right. Thank you so very much for joining and being here with us in worship service this morning. Would you take this time to bow with me for a word of prayer? God of grace and mercy, God of wonders, God of awesomeness, we give you thanks for who you are for what you mean in our lives, for how you have so richly blessed us, O oh God, for even this moment of coming together at this time of worship. May we, O oh God, open our entire being up to you to be receptive to the influence and the impact of the Holy Spirit. Let your blessings be on everything that is done here this morning, from the words of the songs to the conversation, scriptural text, the message, and the fellowship. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
morning, church. It's a good day to be together in the house of the Lord, and so we praise his name that he's brought us together. I'm going to be reading to you, first of all, from the gospel according to Luke, and we're going to be down at the end of that gospel. We'll be looking at a passage called The Walk to Emmaus. I'm going to begin reading then in the 24th chapter of Luke, starting with verse 13. Now, on that same day, and I'll say now, this is still Easter. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him. And yes, my finger moved. <laughs> then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied to the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that he had indeed, they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For many years, I had a beard. I grew it because one night at the supper table, my sons wondered what dad would look like with a beard. Fourteen years went by. Again, we were at the supper table. 
And once again, my beard was the, the topic of conversation. But this time, the question was, what does dad look like without the beard? We don't know what you look like anymore. So they asked me to cut my beard, and again, I agreed. But first, I warned the congregation that I was serving as a pastor. This would be Lakewood Church over in North Little Rock. I said to them, be careful. I'm going to be standing next to you in the grocery line, and you won't know it's me, your pastor, so you need to be on your best behavior at all times. And everybody laughed, but sure enough, it, it happened more than once. And in fact, it still happens. Uh, people I pastored in my bearded days uh, don't recognize me today. Now, our current uh, sermon series is entitled On the Scene. And that title comes from the literary method employed by the gospel writers to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, rather than using theological or scriptural arguments to prove his resurrection, the gospel writers chose to present us with a series of, of vignettes or scenes in which the resurrected Jesus appears in the flesh to various individuals and groups with varying degrees of success. So today's scripture lesson relates one of those moments. It is one of those scenes. In his gospel, Luke recounts the events of Easter Sunday. He talks about what happened that morning, how the women arrived at the cemetery and to their amazement discovered that Jesus was not in the tomb. And then Luke turns to what happened later that day. To repeat, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They didn't know Jesus. Two of his closest disciples didn't know him. It had only been three days since they had last seen him. Now, on Sunday afternoon, they didn't know him. That could happen. I had a brother-in-law who wore a beard. He wore his beard for many years, and then without telling anyone, he decided to shave it off. So he did that, and then the same night, he went to a party. And at that party, he walked past his own mother, and she didn't recognize him. Now, I think I know why that happened. But why didn't Jesus' friends know him? Why didn't they know Jesus? Luke simply says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. But why? How? 
From time to time, someone will, will say to me something along this line. I just don't get it. God has never spoken to me. When I tried prayer, it felt like I was just talking to myself. This whole religion thing just seems to be a big waste of time and energy. Now, as I look around the room this morning, I'm going to say that we have a pretty good group here this morning considering the times in which we live. But many more people are not here. People who could be here if they would be here. How do you explain that? We're all walking down the same road, but you see something, and I'm going to add in our our streaming audience as well, you see something that most others do not see. And I can imagine you saying, well, <laughs> they're just dim bulbs, not quite as brilliant as we are. And I may not argue with you about that, but when they say, I don't get it, lack of intelligence may not be the issue. It may be because they possess a particular kind of, kind of intelligence. There's a way of thinking about the world that has produced many very good things, bridges and penicillin and the internet and quantum physics, and yet that same kind of thinking with all of its empiricism and facts and figures and common sense, that same kind of intelligence has its limitations. Educators have designated that approach as quantifiable thinking. Since early in the last century, quantifiable thinking has reigned supreme. Education has been about statistics and matter and money and business and science and engineering. And throughout that same historical period, qualifiable thinking has fallen on hard times. Learning to think about beauty and right and wrong and good and bad and the human condition all of that has fallen out of favor. You all know that courses in music and visual arts and philosophy have all been on the decline. A sorority held an auction for a noble cause. Faculty members at the school were asked to donate their services for this auction. So one professor who taught writing offered to compose a love letter to the person of your choice. So sometime later, a young woman showed up at his office door. She said that she had paid $25 for him to write a love letter from her to her boyfriend. Now, that wasn't what the professor expected. He imagined that he'd be writing to a young woman Look, she said, I paid $25 for you. And the teacher said, why do you need an old guy like me to write a romantic epistle for you? 
and gesturing in, in frustration, she said, I'm in electrical engineering. And he saw her point. There are certain disciplines of mind that do not lend themselves to imaginative thinking. There was a bright young man named Augustine who had a superior classical education. But in conversation with Bishop Ambrose, he made a confession. He had tried to read the Bible, but to be honest, he was unimpressed. To him, the Bible was pitifully poor literature, crudely written, poorly edited. The bishop responded, you young fool, you can't get it because when you read in the Bible about fish, you think fish. And when you read about bread, you think bread. And Ambrose went on to explain to him how the Bible works, and he talked about the spiritual depth that is present in Scripture. And he showed Augustine levels of meaning that went beyond the surface appearance of things. So Augustine dove into the strange new world of the Bible. And years went by. One day, he was sitting in a garden under a tree, and he could hear a child singing a playground song. And the refrain of the song said, Take up and read. Take up and read. And Augustine's mind began to run, and he asked himself, Is that a child's voice or, or an angel's voice? And his imagination became so excited, his consciousness was so heightened, he couldn't tell the difference. So he decided to do what the voice said. He took up the Bible and he let it fall open to a random and obscure passage from Romans. And the rest is history. That passage changed his life forever. And today we refer to him as Saint Augustine. Now that letter-writing college professor was teaching a literature class one time, and the class was studying the writings of Flannery O'Connor. The teacher patiently explained all of the possible levels of meaning, the symbols, and the significance of her work. And one student took just about all that he could hear and finally blurted out in class, what gives you the right to see all this stuff in this woman's work. Maybe she didn't mean anything other than what I read. Maybe she didn't mean for that ashtray to be a symbol of Ash Wednesday. Maybe the river is just a river and not a baptismal font. Did it ever occur to you that you're reading way too much into a simple story? A pretty gutsy move on the part of the student, you know, challenging the professor like that. And the teacher admired his bravery, but not his stupidity. And that's the teacher's words, not mine. This was a bright young person on whom we had expended years of education. 
A fortune in tuition had been invested in beating into him the notion that the world is flat, that a tree is a tree, that a mystery is to be explained, that a miracle is to be disproved. Everything out going on out there is the result of some material cause, a cause that can be detected and explained. And everything that's going on in here is the result of something that happened to you when you were three years old. It's the modern worldview. Closed, fixed, flat, demystified, disenchanted, and therefore dull. It has taught us not to expect surprises. And if by God's grace a surprise actually does occur, don't expect to know it. And that's because many of us have lost the ability to recognize a surprise when we get one. That lit teacher that I keep going back to dropped the ball when he was challenged in class, and, and he's the first one to admit it. It wasn't that he was reading all this stuff into Flannery O'Connor's simple story. It was that as a Christian, he had been trained to expect a whole new world coming out of such a story. But at the time, all he could think to say to the student was, you just don't get it, do you? Why didn't they recognize Jesus when they walked along the road with him? We are often defeated by the limited viewpoint that this world imposes on us. There are ways of thinking that are officially sanctioned and government subsidized. The reality of death plays a role as well. The reality of death muddles our thinking about what is possible. It tells us that the world is closed shut. And so if there is an intrusion from outside, we don't get it. Two followers of Jesus are trudging along a dusty road. It's a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Somewhere along the way, the risen Christ suddenly joins them on their journey incognito. To them, the resurrected Lord is simply a stranger. But by the time they reach the end of their journey, they have moved from discouragement and despair to hope and faith. And that's a journey that each of us can take. That's a road that we can walk. The road to Emmaus is the way. It is no coincidence that the original name for the church was the way. When the church really is the church, we are a group of people on a journey together. And somewhere along the way, the risen one meets us. Do you want to experience the resurrected Christ in your life? Do you want to see the risen Lord right where you live? 
then get up in the morning and put one foot in front of the other and head off down the Emmaus Road. Follow the way, but please go with a bit of imagination. Walk with expectation. Walk expecting a surprise or at least the possibility of a surprise. It's, it's what Oral Roberts always said. Expect a miracle. Jesus comes to them as one unknown. The scripture says he comes to them on the first day of the week. Now, in biblical parlance, that means the first work day. So let's think of it as Monday. He comes to them not while they're at worship, but while they're on their commute. It's the end of a long day, and traffic reports are on the radio, and Jesus joins the carpool. He comes to them not while they're studying their Bibles, but on their way home from work. He comes to them as the light of day is fading and supper is on their minds. I was a new Christian. We were all new Christians. We were college age and high school age. We were friends and relations. You know, the last time I watched the movie Godspell, it was on an Easter Sunday evening, and I looked at all those hippy-dippy disciples and thought, that's us. I told Sally, that's the way we all were when we found Christ in 1970. We didn't wear the funny makeup. We did wear the funny clothes. And we sang those very same songs. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. We had just completed a lay witness mission, believe it or not, at Highland United Methodist Church. This church. And as young people always do, we wanted our joy and our excitement to linger just a little longer. So we went to Shoney's on University Avenue. Of course, that's a place that's no longer there, but at that time, it was the center of our universe. And we all ordered Cokes and hot fudge cake, which is what you did at Shoney's. And when our order came, we had 13 drinks for 12 people. It only took us a moment to recognize the significance. Jesus was at our table. We welcomed him. And in doing so, we shared an experience of the risen Christ. And it was, as the disciples said, were not our hearts burning within us? Is a moment that I obviously have never forgotten. And so I say to you, it takes both faith and imagination. It takes faith to trust 
that Jesus is walking with you. It takes imagination to see him, to recognize that he's actually there. He is the way. Follow the way. Let's pray. So gracious Jesus, open our eyes that we may see you. That's the way the song goes. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts will continually be warmed and strengthened as we grow closer and closer to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I certainly want to thank David for such a powerful message and for the reading of the scripture and the expounding uh, thereupon. As we prepare our hearts for worshiping through the act of giving, I want to wholeheartedly thank Highland Valley, the membership, the friends, and those uh, supporters of the ministry here for your enthusiastic and generous support of our 2021 Highland Valley Youth Lenten Campaign. You did wonderful. With nearly $11,000 raised, and the support of the Board of Trustees will be able to now finish up our concrete pad and soon on the west side of the church there will be that pad will be ready for outdoor basketball nine square that I had no idea what that was a few months or several months ago a gaga ball, and that was a new one on me also. But it's all thanks to you and to your faithfulness. So, Doug, go ahead, please, and put up uh, some of those uh, uh, viewings about ways of giving. I want to remind you of those many, many ways that you can support through online at highlandhvumc.org slash giving, uh, by texting, by mailing your gift, by dropping your gifts off here at the church and the main uh, front door to the sanctuary. Or if you are here worshiping in person when you leave, uh, there's a uh, wooden receptacle where you can drop your offerings off in those also. We thank you for your faithfulness. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? God of grace and mercy, thank you for who you are. I acknowledge you in all of your awesomeness, in all of your glory, and in all of your power. Yet you are a personable God. You seek to be in relationship with us, for us to know you, to recognize you. You are a benevolent God providing for our, all of our needs. It is only because of your generosity that we are blessed to be able to support and to give back to ministries. What a blessing, what a sign of faithfulness is presented by the members of Highland Valley. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your people. Thank you for their faithfulness. 
This is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Again, I want to thank you, David, for blessing us this morning with the scripture reading and the message for today. I want to say to those who have uh, encountered and know Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior, uh, to encourage you in your continued relationship with him. And for those who are coming into that awareness, we're praying for those who have not yet come upon this revelation, that God will make himself known, and that you will enter into that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and then connect yourself with some faith community to live out that relationship. And we will certainly welcome you here at Highland Valley. I want you to have a blessed day. We'll see you next time.